You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. reading in case i got bored well hello and welcome to literary treks our dedicated books and comic show for star trek here on tfm and i am just one of the hosts matthew rushing and so excited to have with me as he is every single time these days the one and only casey pettit how are you casey i am good and it's good to finally be able to talk about star wars rebels on this on this show that's that's (laughs) what we're talking about today right um yeah it feels i know i have no idea we'll get there as we (laughs) wrap up the star trek rebels the liberated uh it's it's bringing to close that trilogy uh but before we get there and before we even get to our news which we have an action-packed news segment for you because we got some really cool announcements but please uh interact with us all over social media we've got at trek fm on twitter at trek fm on instagram we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Of course, you can find the network online at trek.fm. That's our website. And you can support us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash trek.fm, like Casey Pettit and Greg Rosier do, or associate producers of Literary Treks, and we really appreciate their support. They make sure that, of course, all of the content that's coming to you from Literary Treks as well as the rest of the network keeps happening. So we really appreciate that and hope that you'll join just like they did. Uh, go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can be part of our team. And you can support Literary Treks in this way. Subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. That way you'll get the episodes as soon as they drop. And head us up with a star rating review, say on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you like the show, let other people know that you do by doing that. Also, digital word of mouth and word of mouth is huge as well. So, you know, spread the show on social media or, you know, if you've got a friend who likes Star Trek books, let them know they should be listening to Literary Treks. Well, Casey, very exciting that we are getting an old book made new in audio format this August. Yeah, we, you know, back in the day, we didn't get a lot of audio books or if we did, they were abridged. And most of the time, they were not read by the author themselves. And most of those times, the author was not the actor himself. And uh, those of you steeped in the literary lore of Star Trek probably know we're talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, A Stitch in Time by Andrew Robinson. And it is read by Andrew Robinson, Garrick himself. So that is super exciting and coming on August 1st, 2023. And it's been forever since I've read this book, but I I am definitely going to pick up this audio book and listen to it because it's, you know, with Andy Robinson reading it, I think it's just going to breathe a whole new life into that book. 
I mean, I cannot imagine a better way to bring this book to life, you know, and uh, having the voice of Garrick read a book written by him mm-hmm. about Garrick, you know, it's just going to be so good. So, no, this is phenomenal. I love that they're doing this. I hope that we'll get more of this. Uh, You know, especially since, you know, we aren't getting a ton of new books coming out. This is a great way to go back and do audio books of books that never really got a maybe they got an abridged version back in the day. Well, give us the full audio book treatment. I I think that would be phenomenal. Uh, And, you know, honestly, I feel like probably a cheaper way of, um, you know, trying to get people to read uh, older books by doing that to interest Mm -hmm. them. And so many people use audio books these days. So I think this is phenomenal. The next thing we've got is a we've got a new book announcement, Casey. It's going to be coming out there in February of 2024. And I don't think I could be more excited than knowing that we're going to be continuing the Star Trek Picard novels. And, you know, I think this is a perfect way to do it. We talked about this idea uh, when we were talking with Dayton and even afterwards. I am so excited about, uh, well... Getting some backstory of the newest captain of the Enterprise, Seven of Nine. Yeah, the book is called Firewall, and it's by our friend David Mack. So, you know, last time he was on the show, he he always teases, you know, they all do. They tease us with uh, things they can't talk about, and this was uh, probably one of those. So, I can't wait for it. I mean, we've got a placeholder cover, and I wouldn't be upset if it was the actual cover for it. If you look on date or on uh, David's website or kind of anywhere this has been announced, I think that'd be a pretty sweet cover with seven front and center and all her glory. Well, and it, what's neat about this is the way in which it's going to fill in the story of, you know, Voyager returning home and seven just finding herself out of place. She's rejected from a, a place in Starfleet and ends up finding that new home with the Fenris Rangers, which will be very exciting to actually get to know more about them as an organization. And um, seeing that, you know, this could cost her the biggest relationship in her life, the most important relationship, which is her friendship with Admiral Catherine Janeway. And so I love the idea for this book. You know, I think one of the things that we had mentioned is that the Picard series, because it did away with everything we knew in the lit verse that happened in the 24th century, basically, now we have the opportunity to go in and fill all those gaps. And there are many to be filled in, especially in places that they most likely wouldn't touch, even with a Star Trek legacy series. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think... This is the type of book that will only just enhance your viewing if we, you know, if we don't get a Star Trek Legacy series, we riot, of course. But, um, (laughs) you know, this is only something that would enhance that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, getting to see that that kind of time span, you know, between the end of Voyager and the beginning of Picard, where we eventually meet her again. There's so much that we can fill in there and, and find out what she was doing, what she was doing with the Fenris Rangers. And, you know, Admiral Janeway got name dropped so many times, you know, during Star Trek Picard, but we never got to see her. So we know that Seven continued that relationship with her. And yeah, we can imagine Janeway probably would not appreciate her going to the Rangers. And I think we might see a little bit of that uh, tension in the relationship, but 
ultimately we know from the series that Janeway was the one that sponsored Seven's uh, admittance into Starfleet. So, so something something happens there to keep their friendship alive. So really mm-hmm. looking forward to seeing how that how that turns out. No, I could not agree with you more on that. I'm very excited that this book is going to be coming out. And hopefully that means that we'll be getting more announcement news with other books coming out in 2024. And so crazy to think we're already talking about 2024. But, uh, you know, Casey, one of the things that was interesting is that the most recent episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and we're going to talk a little bit of spoilers there. So if you haven't watched it, you might want to skip uh, just the, to the next chapter here on the podcast. Uh, but, you know, the Illyrian Enigma comic played a role in the sense of filling in a lot of story elements that they didn't actually get to in the episode. And you had asked a really good question on our outline of of whether or not this is actually going to you know, uh, completely makes sense now with the context of the show, but would this ever actually, is it going to make it into uh, the context of this show? And that's a question, you know, Chris and I talked about on uh, Saddle Up, you know, when we were talking about this episode, because I think that this comic does give a lot of context to the episode, but it also kind of frustrated me that it just wasn't part of the episode. Yeah, I agree. There was, I feel like there was some backstory they could have, uh, that they could have explored during the episode and even just bringing more in. And yeah, I look forward to hearing that episode of uh, Saddle Up to hear what you guys say. But ultimately, I mean, I I feel like there's still some things from the comics that, you know, they don't have to address everything in the show that was in the comics. Like that may not totally make sense, but. I feel like there was a connection made with the Vulcans in the comics that was somewhat absent. I mean, maybe there was some tinges of it in the episode, but I'm just really looking forward to seeing where we go from here. Um, You know, I think we all love strange new worlds and, you know, we love the comics. So um, if they're going to do tie-ins, they're obviously going to be connected somehow. I think Kirsten Beyer was involved in that uh, comic series as well. And she's involved in the shows. So, I'm I'm just looking forward to continuing to watch the show and seeing where it goes. But now that we've seen her trial, I feel like there's still some unanswered questions in the show piece of it to really tie the comic in. You know, I, Casey, I couldn't agree with you more there. And I, like you, hope that we will actually dive into this more uh, in the show. And it does seem like it's another place which... We could add more layers to the Vulcans the same way that Enterprise did. This Mm -hmm. gives us more layers for that. So I'd be interested to see um, how that all plays out. And especially since, you know, we teased at the end of the first season with Cybok and something else going on with Vulcans. Maybe this can all tie together. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, Which would be really cool if that's the case. But uh, on to our review of Star Trek number nine. uh, And this continues that. Uh, series. We have the end of the trial for Benjamin Sisko, and we also have the confrontation between the Red Path and the crew of the Theseus, who have gone to recover the Orb of Creation. How did you feel like this issue went, especially since, you know, we do end on a pretty major cliffhanger? Yeah, you know, I was, I think we talked in one of, like, a couple episodes ago, probably about 
a little trepidation I had of another trial of one of our captains. It just seems to be a trope that the comics have gone to throughout the years. But, you know, the way that this one goes and um, I've actually been kind of pleased with it and how it's just kind of feathered into the story a little bit. It was, you know, there was a lot going on in this issue. Um, But then to have Cisco essentially found guilty and then, um, you know, he's kind of captured a la Captain Picard in chain of command and, you know, hung up and he's about to get ready to, he's about ready to be executed at the end of this. And one of the things about these comics, especially is that, you know, these are old characters. They've already brought Cisco back. We don't know who's safe and who's not in, in these comics. So to end on this cliffhanger here of, are they going to actually, uh, kill Cisco or not is uh I don't know. I can't wait to see what they do with the next one. I I I hope that he gets out of it, but you know, in this day and age, uh anything can happen. No, I agree with you. Uh I think that it was a good issue. Um I also liked the other side where uh, we're talking about how this religious sect you know of the red path has taken hold in places beyond chronos beyond uh the klingon people and and attracted people from many different parts of the quadrant here uh and uh i thought that was kind of fascinating um you know we're we're basically kind of referencing the idea of people being radicalized into uh, an ideology. And so I, I thought that that was a, a nice touch that, you know, this isn't just about Klingons, right? Even though we know the day of blood is coming. Um, but this is about that ideology spreading to other people who seem to be of similar mindset, even if they're not Klingon, they could be, you know, Cardassian or Romulan or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's, it's very interesting to me. So, I think this series has really been fun and it, it's really been one that I've been enjoying because I, I think the thing I enjoy about it most is that, you know, it's throwing away all the rules, I think, in the best way um, and making a universe all on its own. Um, and by doing that, like you said, you don't know who's safe and who's not because of the way in which this comic is being presented and written. So I, to me... That's what makes it worthwhile because we're not having to be hold to anything other than what we're doing here in this comic. And of course, the, I mean, they're not disregarding any canon that's happened. You know, uh, I would say ex- they're basically end of Nemesis, then it's them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're disregarding, you know, Picard and all that. But uh, basically to create your your own uh rules and then to follow them is great and so i think they're doing a good job there which is also very interesting because you know we have the motion picture echoes number two and this definitely continues the story in a way that i didn't quite see coming yeah me either (laughs) yeah you know we continue with you know, our alternate timeline characters and we get to introduced into uh, a parallel Chekhov. He's not called Chekhov, 
Um, they kind of reveal that later, but you could kind of see it in the in the lead up and you know the artwork. He looks he looks strikingly like Chekhov, but different enough that he could have been somebody different. But uh, very bad dude. And um, ironically, they're also looking for an orb in this one as well, a Bajoran orb. And our you know kind of prime characters, uh, Kirk and Crude don't even know what that means. So um, that's probably, for me, one of the most interesting pieces of this this comic series is, is seeing these, I don't want to say mirror characters, because they're not from the mirror universe, but parallel characters coming in and introducing things to our prime universe that we didn't think were in existence at that time. So... Um, you know, just kind of continuing with the story. It's fun so far. You know, we're only in the second issue, but really looking forward to see where this one goes to. Yeah, I mean, to me, this one, it's good. It's not great yet, um, but it's interesting. And, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of fun to see uh, Kirk do his thing here, uh, be the maverick, um, and... Uh, uh, that's always an enjoyable uh, part uh, to the story, any Star Trek story. Um, you know, I think it, it's interesting, too, because he knows, uh, at least he was told by the Admiral, this is going to be his last mm-hmm. um, hurrah on the Enterprise until he's basically chained back to his desk as an Admiral. And so uh, I think that makes for an interesting story on that side. Um, and then, of course, you know, as always, when you're playing with these parallel universes, it allows uh, our characters to be able to see themselves and experience themselves in a way in which that wouldn't normally be the case, except for when these kind of crazy things happen. So, no, I think this is a good issue. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading the next one. It's not as though it's like that other Mirror Universe series <laughs> that we did read where we were so bored and we couldn't even figure out why we were reading it like this one has my interest right and so mm-hmm. that's a good thing for any comic series so no i mean I, comics have been firing on all cylinders uh and i can't wait for you know we talked about the announcements of the things that are coming out later in the last episode so we've got so much that's happening now uh it's nice to know there are new books on the horizon great comics and so I don't know, Casey, maybe uh, we should head to the feature and do a little rebelling. I rebel. All right, Casey. So um, we are wrapping up the Rebels series here. And one of the big things is uh, the natives on this planet. Um, and they're not the Tifnaki anymore. I'm not even going to try and pronounce what they're called <laughs> now because I don't think I would do it justice. Uh, and... What did you think about the revelation about who these people are and why they're actually on their planet? I feel like it would have been more interesting if this revelation maybe had been brought about sooner. I mean, we're essentially told that there were at some point in history there were 90 million children and and that was kind of the part that got me. These were children that were essentially just dropped off on the planet. It was kind of a survival of the fittest kind of thing. And we eventually dwindled down to the fittest. And, um, you know, with, with the way that the story's gone, this kind of war that's been brewing this whole time, 
the Cardassians and the Starfleet team, you know, if they're not careful, could essentially wipe out the rest of this species or this, uh, you know, this population. And, you know, I think it, dropping the revelation where we got it here in this book, we there was really nothing that came of it almost. It, it almost didn't matter by the end. I mean, it kind of did towards the end. Um, you know, change like once we kind of learned it, some of our characters kind of changed their view of, you know, how this was going to go. But at the end of the day, the natives were strong enough essentially to hold their own against the Cardassians. Like when they, but between the technology that they invented, but also the um, training that they got from the Starfleet crew, um, you know, it, it was kind of one of those things like, well, did did it matter like that we knew what the history was or you know there i feel like there could have been more interesting things that we could have come out of this if if we'd have been even in the second book gotten this re- revelation and then done something to really build off of that like you said i think the revelation that this is a social experiment gone completely wrong by apparently an advanced society who is so bored with mm-hmm. itself they want to see and they are basically asking the question dax makes this uh statement about how they're 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 talking about uh is technology and culture synonymous with one another which i mean in all honesty is is an incredibly interesting question you know and and i was thinking about how prescient a question that could be for our time period as of now like when you think about the the culture that we have and technology and and are they synonymous like that's such a great question to be asking you know when you think about the invention of social media and all of these type of things and the way that type of technology has literally altered the course of our society in so many ways and in some ways we're still just discovering right such an incredibly interesting question uh and yet like you said it means nothing uh here uh and it's not that you know that's the important thing like star trek is always about asking big questions that help us reflect on ourselves and where we are and that could have been the case here, but it doesn't do that. And I think one of the biggest mistakes is that the and, and the hardest things here is that the natives don't have any trouble at all because the moment that their magic technology is taken away from them, well, they're all just a it's like a planet of Mary Sue's, <laughs> you know, like they they're creating constitutions and they're creating, you know, weapon systems that, you know, we've never even heard of before, but are amazing. And it's just like I, it's it's the most frustrating thing I think about the story is, is that, you know, our characters here weren't useless because it did take Cisco turning off their magic technology to allow this metamorphosis to happen. So that, you know, there is a metamorphosis here, but we don't actually use that in any way to, you know, discuss the underlying question Mm -hmm. at all. Um, And I think, you know, 
it's one of those things where, as we talked about the Dark uh, Matters series and this one as well, there have been actually some very interesting questions, I think, that have been asked. And yet the books themselves have no desire to actually to dig into the thematic elements that they've brought to light. Yeah, this was, yeah. And if it had been done differently, I feel like this whole storyline and, and tying it into the rebels, you know, name that they've used for this trilogy could have been really interesting. And, and the, and the points that you brought up, you know, it, it could have been a much more fulfilling story and a much more fulfilling Star Trek story. Um, but ultimately, like, the book spent so much time with the Tifnaki and, you know, Cisco's storyline or the Defiant and and everybody that, you know, the, resol- the resolution of it and the effect on our characters, it was just... By the end of the book, it was just kind of like, okay, we're going home now. Like, they won their battles against the Cardassians, and we're leaving now. It was basically just a huge side quest, supposed to be, you know, storyline B or something like that, and kind of took too much time if there was not really going to be much, you know, meat that came out of it. So, yeah, real real shame, kind of a lost opportunity there for what what could have been a a good storyline, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I think the problem, like you even mentioned, like the defiant part of the storyline and everything. And, you know, that storyline just doesn't go anywhere. You know, I I think uh, so many of the storylines kind of end up in a holding pattern until they're just needed. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's not great plotting, uh, you want everything that's happening in the story to feel like it's necessary. And unfortunately, what we get because of the way that the story has been structured, whole parts of the story just kind of disappear until they're needed to reappear again. And that's not a good way to tell the story. Uh, and I think that's really frustrating, especially when yeah, this just doesn't seem to go anywhere. And then I it, can we just talk about the fact that, you know, Starfleet then visits this planet later on and the planet's just gone? Like, yeah. it, it, it's just such a, like, they turned their planet into a Death Star so they can just move it? Move. Or yeah. just, like, pop, did they pop into another universe? Like, it, it's just, it's kind of ludicrous. Yeah. I'd actually forgotten about that part until you just mentioned it. It was because it was so worth forgetting. Too. Yeah, it was, it, and and even there, it didn't it didn't add anything. I mean, you know, at the the very end of the book, they try to ask some like big questions, like you know, could they have really taken their planet and left? You know, like could, is that possible? I don't know, and we'll never know, and it doesn't matter, and. Yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think that it is kind of crazy uh, that that's the case. Um, and uh, you know, I think that it's also clearly the case with uh, what's happening on the other side of the wormhole on 
emissary sanctuary or deep space nine or whatever they're calling it um with the liberated right um and i mean what did you think of the revelation that the liberated were prison guards uh who used to work for the dominion but now they want to orb for some reason which i could never i don't feel like was ever explained as to why they want an orb or really how in the world they actually figured out these people were prison guards for the dominion other than the world's worst Sherlock Holmes style logic that made no sense. I mean, what <laughs> in the world was going on with this story, Casey? I just, I do not know. I, and you know, this is another one that could have been a pretty intriguing story. If it was just done any other way than the way it was, um, you know, they talk about how, you know, we've got, you know, the Jem Hadar who are like the muscle of the Dominion. We've got the Vorta who are kind of the mouthpiece of the Dominion. And so the Liberated are the, the prison guards of the Dominion. So, and apparently that's all they know how to do the, to the point where when they get to Deep Space Nine, and people are hiding because the, the the station's getting taken over. These people think that those are prisoners, and they basically try to keep them in prison. And the whole thing with the orb, yeah, they, they didn't really ever talk about what they needed it for. And I mean, Kai Wen was smart as far as hiding it, basically, and kind of... Um, basically uh stalling them and you know kind of finding a a fake orb for them um but you know kira takes quite a beating for that little ruse and um and and also when plays her cards pretty close to the chest as far as what her plan is here but you know it just the way that we defeat the liberated and, and everything like every, everything just happens so fast. Like you said, it's just a Sherlock Holmes, like, you know, mystery where somebody's got all the clues and they've figured everything out. And we're kind of left as the reader going, okay, we'll follow your logic, I guess. And, um, this was in this particular book, definitely my least favorite part of the story, just because it, Every time we came back to it, I had no idea what was going on. Right. Even when we started the book, I was totally lost. I'd forgotten that anybody ever came to the station. You know, it was just it it was it was all over the place. Well, and and two, I think that the uh, the other issue uh, with this storyline and the liberated, especially, is the fact that the Win character is written in a way that does not make sense with Deep Space Nine. I mean, it, she just feels like a completely mm -hmm. different type of character, except for maybe the fact that at the end, um, where you kind of can tell that she's been doing this for power reasons. And, you know, um, so therefore, one of the main reasons, you know, she's going to leave the station and it's going to go back to Starfleet is because of the way in which uh, the government of Bajor is being like, well, if you're there, then we're going to have to set up somebody else's over Bajor instead of the Kai. And so like <laughs> the whole thing 
I think from, you know, the resolution there that we get with that storyline to what's going on with the Liberated and why they're there at all. I mean, there's just... There's no good reason for this story to be happening. Because, one, none of it makes sense with what we know from Deep Space Nine, so it doesn't actually feel like it fits at all. And... Two, everything that's happening is just happening because it happens. You know, that you know, that again, the liberated don't feel like they make sense. The storyline with the, the Kai and everything don't make sense. Um, you know, I think the actual idea of the Bajorans having a test run period is actually a very interesting idea. Again, great thought yeah. as a idea of what to do, but it just doesn't work with with the story because it's not actually done in a way that makes sense. And then, Casey, can we talk about why in the world are we telling this story about Kai Wen in the past when it also doesn't seem to make sense with everything? Like what what are we supposed to learn about Kai Wen? Like what is going on here? Yeah, this was from the first book, the story of her past like 30 years ago during the occupation was kind of my favorite part of the story because I really wanted to know her some of her backstory because she is one of the best villains that we've had in Star Trek like and her and Dakot together especially you know like such a she had such a deep character and such a deep um I don't even want to say evil but just power hungry nature to her that just didn't come out in this story. Um, and even, you know, like you said, like it felt like we had kind of a different Kai Wen during the liberated portion of the story. I mean, even Kira reacted to her differently. She almost had a reverence for my Kai and, you know, like the way that she talked to her, it was never how we saw her on the show. And then when we see her in the past, I was really hoping because I liked the the historical stuff of her so much, well, not so much. Let's uh, let me not overinflate anything. I liked it a lot more than than any of the other parts. But I, I was really hoping in this story that we would finally get a connection to what was happening on the station or what was just why she was the way she was, and you know she had some trauma just like anybody else did during the occupation. But it wasn't anything that made me feel any sympathy for her and the only and and the thing that really boggles my mind the only thing that we really got from her past story to connect it to the the now part of the story was goal uh what's his name goal regat who shows up on the planet that cisco's on and you know dax and bashir have him held hostage for so long and even then, like, his part of the story didn't really tie back. Like, it was just so disjointed that you could have put any characters' names on any of these people, and it wouldn't have made any difference because it was so disjointed. So, you know, I was really hoping it would stick the landing on this historical piece, or just to, even just to give me something to care about, you know, with when, and it just didn't, and just once again kind of left me disappointed here yeah i i mean i think that's so well said and i i don't honestly have anything to add to it because i don't know what i could you know um and i this isn't you know this is 
been such a frustrating experience for us. And so I, I do just have kind of, uh, before we get to our ratings, I do have one question, which was, you know, this trilogy was bad, but how bad was it, Casey? <laughs> this, I, you know, I was doing a little bit of research on this. The publisher didn't even spell the author's name correctly on the covers of the books, which I've, I've, I couldn't find anything about the author's reaction to that or anything. Um, and you know, it's, he's, he's got an interesting, you know, uh, a unique spelling to his name, or at least unique by American standards, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it, the, how, how bad does the publisher have to not care about something to totally misspell a previous Star Trek author's name on their books, all three of them, uh, but then this was this ended up being the last book that the author published. Again, I don't know why he had done some tie-ins with Doom, and I feel like there was one other one. But um, this this book that we're talking about today ended up being his last published work that I could find. He was supposed to write two books in the A Time Two series, A Time to Create and A Time to Destroy, uh, and those would have come out in two thousand four. So it's five years after this one came out, but those ended up getting canceled. So this really was his last Star Trek book and his last book kind of at all. And, you know, I don't remember much. I, I remember reading his uh, his entry in the Invasion books. I don't remember much about it, but it's a shame because, you know, to be a published author and, to you know, he's got multiple works to his credit it's a shame to kind of end with this, and I don't know if that has any reason behind it or what, but I I keep coming back to that word. It's a shame. I feel bad for him if he wanted more or I don't know, but there it is. <laughs> you know, I this is one of those things where I feel like it was actually the editor's issue uh, because the editor should have asked for major rewrites of this story um you know and i haven't read anything else that they've done in, in star trek or any of their other works you know you mentioned like working in other franchises so i can't judge but all i can judge is here and i feel like a lot of this comes down to editorial uh, mm. but i do think you know there's also places where this the story and the way it's written the verbiage used uh, the way the characters speak none of it felt right either so all in all, I just, you know, I, I think that this just didn't work. And that that is unfortunate, um, which, no. you know, I guess, what are you going to rate the liberated? Well, once I liberated myself at the end of the book from the book, I gave it a one star. This is this is definitely one of the worst Star Trek books I've read. And I had forgotten what I'd rated the other two. Um, for some reason, I thought I gave the other two kind of the benefit of the doubt and had given them three on Goodreads, and I was actually ready to go back and downgrade them to twos, which when I looked, I had already rated those as a two. But, I mean, this book was a definite one star, and as a trilogy, even if I gave those others two stars, they were weak two stars, and I'd say as a, as a whole, the trilogy for me it was one star and um unless a person's a completionist i don't i don't think i would i could really recommend these books unfortunately i mean i think you said that really well 
Um, you know, I do think that this is a, a frustrating experience in the reading, you know, and it, it is unfortunate that I do think that this is a one star book. And I would heartily agree with you that this is a one star trilogy. Uh, I, I would encourage nobody to read these books, unfortunately, and, and I hate to say that. I also hate <laughs> to, to, you know, rate books so lowly, but, you know, I I can't lie to you guys, and I never have, yeah, and I never honest, would yeah. on this show, and so I, I you know, I just, uh, I did not enjoy it, which is too bad, but, um, yeah, maybe we'll have better luck next time. I guess if Forrest Gump was a host of literary treks, he might say that uh, Star Trek books are like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But, uh, you know, and like we said, we, we we have to be honest in our ratings and we, we can't always pick winners. But we've got a lot of good stuff in the future, like we, you know, talked about in the news segment. We've we've got some some things on the horizon and a lot of things to look forward to and you know, we're, uh, we've talked about jumping into the lost era and somehow in however many years that literary treks has been going, we've never managed to get to those ones. So I'm excited for what's to come. Yeah, I am too, Casey. Um, we're actually going to be co- covering one of the lost era novels with the buried age, uh, which is about, uh, mm-hmm. Picard's early life. Um, we have covered a couple of the other ones. We covered the one about John Harriman. Uh, both of them, actually. We've covered both of those. Uh, but we're going to be covering some of the others. Uh, we've also got Cast No Shadow coming up. And of course, we've talked about the fact that we've got the new uh, making of books coming out for Star Trek II as well as Star Trek Picard. We've got the autobiography of Benjamin Sisko coming out. We've also got the memoir by Patrick Stewart. We're actually going to cover that. We covered yes. Kate Mulgrews, and so that means we're going to be covering Patrick Stewart as well. Uh, and so, yeah, I think we've got a lot of great stuff coming up. And of course, we mentioned the fact that we've got a new book coming out by uh, David Mack next year. So that'll be awesome. But, you know, Casey, if people want to catch up with you and see what else you have happening these days, where would they find you? Hey, you can find me on Goodreads and Letterboxd at Knitting Trekkie. I've I've been poking around on Twitter again, so you might be able to find me there at Knitting Trekkie as well. Uh, and you can also find me on Facebook in the Babel Conference. Uh, it's a good place to catch us and, uh, you know, find announcements about the things that are coming out. And, uh, you know, Matthew's always good about about posting on those old podcast episodes about something new that's coming up, so definitely join the Babel conference. Absolutely. I I love it there. And I love when people want to have conversations about the episodes we're doing. It's always fun. Uh, of course, you can find me all over social media under Matt Rushing 2 Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero are the places I'm most active. Uh, of course, outside of Literary Treks, I'm doing uh, the 602 Club. Casey just uh, premiered over on the 602 Club. We mm-hmm. talked about The Flash. So uh, everybody should check that out because Casey was great. Uh, and then you've also got me doing the Orb, Warp 5, Saddle Up, and the Artificial Tango, all different Star Trek series we're covering on those shows, which is great. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I've got a completed show called Owl Post about the entire Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time, and aggressive negotiations I'm doing with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. But thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.